Hello, hello, hello. This is Chris and Eric's Longbox Adventure. I'm Chris. And I am Eric. As with last week's apologies if I sound weird, I went to the dentist this morning and half of my mouth is numb. So, if I sound weird, it's because I can't feel my fucking face. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. anywho, <laughs> want to introduce the topic. Um, so this week we're doing the first three issues of the second volume, I want to say, of FF. This is the um, Marvel Now 2015 Matt Fraction, Michael Allred, Laura Allred run on the book with... Um, uh, Fraction-wise, are dropping off before the end, but not during these issues because we're just covering issues one through three. Uh, I basically picked this because I wanted to hard sell the concept of the Fantastic Four, and for some insane reason, I decided to do this via a book which the Fantastic Four are barely in. It's four people in little numbered outfits. It counts. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, several of these characters are like also frequently like the stand-in. Fantastic Four member whenever someone wants to shake things up. But, yeah. Uh, I guess we should just dive straight in. Yeah, we've got uh, Matt Fraction is the writer. Um, the usual... They're siblings, right? Or are they, like, husband and wife? You know, I honestly don't have a clue. The usual potential sibling spouse team of Michael oh, and, <laughs> of Michael and Laura Alred. On um, art and colors, <laughs> respectively. Apologies in either direction. <laughs> we promise that's. We promise we're gonna be nicer to them after that joke. Um, but yeah, we have the All Reds on art, and then we have VCs Clayton Cowles on the lettering. And um, yeah, diving right in. So for context, um, this is right after the Jonathan Hickman Fantastic Four run. Um, during which Reed Richards establishes the Future Foundation to, like, basically a bunch of weird kids who are supposed to be geniuses, but, like, question mark on that one, frankly, in some cases. Yeah, that was, like, part of my question, too, was just, like, I've never read this before, I've read almost no Fantastic Four anything before, so I did not know what the Future Foundation was other than just, like, picking up that it seems like an educational program for, like, juvenile potential mad scientists. Yeah, that that's pretty much exactly what it is. Basically, like, the whole idea in Hickman's run was Reed was trying to solve unsolvable problems. Um, and one of the things was like, well, I probably can't, but in the future we need to make sure that these kids are, like, raised well and taught well. And then, you know, Audie and Leech are there, because Jonathan Hickman really likes Generation X and or X-Men stuff, and it kind of makes sense for them to be with Franklin. But Franklin is not in this book after the first issue, because... The whole point of this book is with the Matt Fraction Fantastic Four run um, with Mark Bagley, the Fantastic Four are going on like a big space trip 
Uh, it's supposed to only last four minutes, so they want to get a replacement team of heroes to cover them for the four minutes that they are away, just in case. And naturally, they fucking disappear, and yeah. just in case becomes permanent. Yeah, it's just like, oh, they're just fucking gone. It's fun when you read these books side by side, which is the way they're laid out in the omnibus that I have, um, because the Fantastic Four are sort of, for a while on their mission, just having a normal time of it, and it's going pretty much how they expected. Whereas in FF, everyone's freaking the fuck out because where the fuck are the Fantastic Four gone? Yeah, after just, like, difference and, like, how time feels and passes and stuff, which... Real quick, before we get too far away from them, you mentioned Artie and Leech. Now, sliding time scales and ages for Oof. children and teenagers and Marvel is always a pain. But are these the two least aged characters in all of Marvel? So, the problem with Artie and Leech is they're friends with Franklin Richards, which means they need to stay the same age as Franklin Richards, and Franklin Richards is not allowed to age in a way that even other Marvel characters are allowed to age. Like, so uh, Franklin is um, Reed and Sue's kid. So Franklin's age very clearly directly relates to how long these comics have been happening because he is born in a 60s Fantastic Four story. I think it was 60s. It's probably 60s. So Franklin is like eight? question mark so he's like only slightly younger than like the entire age of the marvel universe basically uh, see the thing is i would typically say it's been 15 years and franklin should be like 14 maybe 13 but he's definitely younger than that in marvel now and like marvel now is where i would point to and say yes this is about 15 years that seems fair Part of that is they can't let Spider-Man be 30. Part of that is they don't want to age up the teenage characters and make them lose their pure, except they all have. Like, if you look at the X-Men, Kitty Pride is introduced at being, like, 13, and she is 18 at the end of the 90s. She's Actually, she's 18 in the middle of the 90s because she gets to date the 20-something-year-old creep Pete Wisdom. Comics age discourse. Point is, Leech and Artie have to be small children because they have to hang out with small child Franklin Richards, and just Franklin Richards age, ages even slower than everyone else does. And they were fully in Gen X, so in the time that Chamber and Jubilee have grown 10 years, they have aged 10 days. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just here because, you know, Jonathan Hickman likes them. Yeah, they're just weird little children. They're not geniuses. Yeah. We also... Well, actually, we'll just introduce the characters, I guess, as the comic introduces them. Because um, this first issue has a framing device where characters are talking to Mr. Lang, which is a name you may recognize because that's Ant-Man. The, the second Ant-Man, the one who's the thief with the daughter. The one in the movie who... Paul did, Rudd. Yeah, Paul Rudd, who, unlike the other Ant-Man, did not physically abuse his wife. It's 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hank Pym is a mess. In fairness to Hank Pym, Hank Pym was having a mental breakdown in the comics. Like, full, like, psychosis. So... It's still just character breaking, though. It's, it's just, yeah. It makes sense that he's not used anymore. You can't use the wife beater as your main hero. Unless, unless you are, in fact, Mark Millar writing The Ultimates. When he is significantly worse. We're not talking about The Ultimates yet. We can't get too deep in The Ultimates yet. <laughs> okay, back to the good comic that we're reading right now. Um, it's basically, so... Franklin and Val are the two kids of Reed and Sue from the Fantastic Four. Um, Franklin is a normal child, and he is the older one, and Val is a super genius and the younger one. She is, for context, while she's got these full, like, sentences and explaining complicated ideas, she's, like, four. Like, years old. She's a super genius. She's, like, literally smarter than her dad. I, I would argue that that should be a mutant power. That's my personal opinion. Franklin's a mutant, Val should be a mutant too, but... That's also another tangent that we shouldn't go down, <laughs> yes. is the mutant status of these kids. But, yeah, it's the, like, younger genius, older, more average, and looking dumb next to the genius one sort of sibling dynamic. And we have Valeria... You know, like you said, talking smart, explaining things. And then we have Franklin making all of these horrendous faces in the background. So, one of the reasons I like these, the, the FF, this FF run is um, it's, it's funny. It's very lighthearted, and it's filled with jokes and humor. And it's mostly, I would argue, in Alred's art, which, if you've not seen it, it's... One of the most distinct, like, visual styles I've seen in, like, a lot of superhero comics, um, in, like, Western stuff, uh, he did iZombie, if you've ever seen that TV show, the opening credits to that, um, because he drew the book, uh, like, that's his art, so you have, like, some idea. It's very... I don't know if it's just because this is what he's always asked to draw, or whether this is how I read the start. It's very, like, Silver age throwback in a lot of ways. Maybe, like... It's sort of classic, but it's also, like, classic on an acid trip. Yes. Because, like, the people... I think, like, the degree to which it works, you know, largely depends on the tone of the story. And they largely put them on books, like, where it works. So it's good for that. But his people tend to look, like, unnatural and plasticky, which could sound like an insult, but in this case it's not a bad thing. It's just sort of like, this book is weird and kooky, and, like, the aesthetic is weird and kooky, and, like, when Franklin Richards is making these, like, childish faces in the background while his sister is talking, it's made all the more ridiculous by just how exaggerated the style of the art is. Yeah. I don't know, does that make sense? Do you go, I mean, by, like, plasticky? Like, the people just look weird. They're, they're stretchy, I would say. I don't know if... I don't know if I'd go with plasticky, but yeah, like, I, I see what you're saying. He's definitely... It's like... 
there's there's just some artists where as soon as you look at it, you know exactly who drew it, and Mike Allred is definitely one. He always works with um, same last name. We really should have just looked this up. Um, Laura Allred doing colors, and I think that they work really well together. I think that like as a team, the aesthetic is just so immediately set for any of the books that they do. Yeah. I'll Google this while we're talking. I think they're siblings. I know that they're not incest spouses. I know it's not that option. This is not Nightcrawler. (laughs) And Amanda Sefton. But, yeah, it's like, you virtually never see Michael Allred colored by anyone else. So, like... Yeah, like, it works together. Like, the aesthetic works and just adds to all the more consistency of knowing what you're looking at. Which the color scheme matches the sort of, like... It's bright poppy colors. Yeah, exactly. And it, like, works with the stretchy people in terms of, like... Like, this is the furthest thing from, like, realism imaginable, more or less, in, like, Marvel superhero drawing, where... Like, you called it, I believe, like, classic earlier, and, like, the color aesthetic is all very, like, bright poppy 60s on these characters that can be sort of stretchy and weird-looking and sort of amend the style a little bit to, like, enhance the comic humor and stuff like that. Yeah, well, like, the way Allred draws the thing looks just like how Jack Kirby drew the thing. Like, it's the exact same, like later stage Jack Kirby too I would say where it's more stylized and pushing it a little bit further out there yeah like the jagged lines of like it's like it's jagged within the torso and the limbs but the outlines aren't actually spiky you know it's like the shapes of the shoulders and stuff are like smoothed over but it still has like all of the interconnecting, like, rock pieces across the body, and I don't know how to describe it, but yeah, it just looks like classic The Thing. Yeah. Talking about stretchy people, uh, so the first issue is it's structured around, you've got these little interviews with the kids, and then you also have the Fantastic Four, each individual member of the Fantastic Four recruiting the new members of the, I'm gonna call them the FF, for, like, clarity, because that's the book that they're in. And so, as we said, Scott Lang, Ant-Man, here he is, um, and Reed Richards is there. He's the stretchy person. He's been trying to make, like... Okay, so for additional context, this is right after the big-ish Marvel crossover um, Avengers The Children's Crusade, which is actually just a Young Avengers story. And in that Young Avenger Cassie Lang stature, right? Yeah, stature, is brutally murdered by Doctor Doom. So Scott, who comes back to life in that story, I think. Because <laughs> I think, wasn't Scott killed by Wanda? In, um, in, in one of Wanda's, was it, not House of M, Disassembled? Yeah, Scott is one of the, I believe, three or four... Avengers that get blown the fuck up and Avengers disassembled for the whole we have to show that Wanda's gone crazy insert uh, sound file of the way that Connor Goldsmith 
does the bit when he's talking about Wanda um, when she like kills uh, Vision, Scott Lang, and uh, Hawkeye. But yeah, um, can we talk about the flashback panel we get here of recently brought back to life Scott Lang holding his daughter who has died basically five seconds after he's come back to life yeah right now we're looking at it on like Marvel Unlimited on like an e-reader I read these earlier like in the print omnibus and the print omnibus had this little like AR symbol in the corner for like I guess indicating like using some app to find more information yeah yeah they did that for a little while where you could maybe maybe you still can I don't see that anymore it was basically like a fucking QR code for a comic book which I never liked when they did that because it was like obscuring the art with this bullshit I should be able to just read the comic on its own but it looked especially jarring with the little comic QR code next to the grieving father holding his dead child. (laughs) So if you want a good picture of where Scott's head is at, he's basically... Yeah, he's just come back to life and watched his daughter die, so he is an absolute mess. He's trying to, like, make some, like, tech stuff work, and he can't get it right. And Reed has chosen Scott to be his replacement on the FF for the four minutes they think they'll be gone sort of as a way to try to give him something to do to help like bring him out of the obvious funk that he's in um, and his little grief hole that he's just sort of stuck inside yeah with like the FF not just meaning the Fantastic Four but also the future foundation and therefore sort of like you know, overseeing the education and safety of these children with the idea of being, like, I guess that's... I'm gonna force my friend who recently lost his daughter to spend four minutes with some children because I think it'll do him some good. Yeah, yeah. Go spend time with these kids that aren't yours. That aren't your dead kid. These live kids. They're alive. Unlike your daughter. (laughs) Uh, we get another one of these fun little interviews. Um, this one is Bentley 23. However, he introduces himself as Bentley 666. He is a child clone of the Fantastic Four villain, The Wizard. Um, The Wizard is just crazy evil Reed Richards, basically. He's not stretchy, but, like, just, like, really smart, but also he sucks. And he's got, like, this weird twisted notion of family that he, like, expects Bentley to be essentially his Franklin. So Bentley doesn't want to be... He he, he does want to... Bentley is, is Damian Wayne in that, like, does he or doesn't he want to be evil changes from panel to panel. Um, overall, he is a much better person than his clone dad. Um, and he's sitting next to Dragon Man. Dragon Man who, according to his own dialogue here, I am neither dragon nor man. Actually, I am an android. And he's basically, like, big and purple with wings. I cannot remember who it was who built him, but he's been... Like, he's he helps with the FF. He's, like, another member of the faculty, essentially. I think he's probably my favorite character in this book, like, based on design alone. 
That makes sense. And also the humor of just, I am neither dragon nor man. Like, it feels like he should be in Squirrel Girl, you know? It's that sort of brand of silly. Glad we need to do Squirrel Girl soon. We will have to do Squirrel Girl. But, um, he's just sort of like a nice, calming presence of, like, playing the straight man to Bentley in this mini scene where Bentley will, like, go into supervillain mode and Dragon Man will just go, Bentley, and then he'll calm down a bit for a minute and then they'll go hype back up to Evil Child and then Dragon Man will interrupt and just go, Bentley, and then Bentley will calm down again. I am Bentley666, lord and master of this world and all lovers kneel before me and perhaps in my mercy I shall... Bentley. (laughs) I am Bentley. (laughs) Um, and now we have... Oh, God, this is more continuity stuff. Adelan, the city of the Inhumans, who are, like, the weird... (sighs) The Inhumans are the one that Marvel wanted you to think were as cool as the X-Men for a minute and shoved them in your face until they bought out Fox and got the full X-Men rights back and now no one needs to care about the Inhumans again. There are, like, some interesting characters in there. They just are not an X-Men replacement. Anyway, their city, because this was the point where they were trying to really sell the Inhumans, their city, Adelan, is, like, floating above New York City. So Sue is just walked up there using her force fields, uh, specifically to meet with Medusa, who is the queen of the Inhumans. And I guess Black Bolt's... I'm trying to remember some of the continuity stuff around the time. Black Bolt, who is the king of the Inhumans, is not there, so his wife Medusa is ruling. But apparently they've decided she also has time to be Sue's replacement on the FF. They both just, like, talk about being mothers and caring about kids. And, you know, Medusa decides to, to, to go and do it because it's four minutes! It's four minutes! Yeah... If you don't know Medusa, her power is just having really long prehensile hair. Basically, her power exists just to give an excuse to just draw really flexible, weirdly moving hair. Um, I I really like the way Alred draws hair, so I I think this was a good decision to put her in the book. Yeah, it works pretty well. It's very nice and flowy. Uh, We have an interlude with the Moloids, who are not geniuses, are just, like, really big Ben Grimm fans. Um, they're, like, if I was in the Marvel Universe and could just follow the thing around all the time and be like, no, actually, you're amazing. That. What, Turg, Mick, Tong, and Cory, they look identical. <laughs> they're here, they're adorable. Yeah, like... Turg is a floating head and a thing. I can't remember how that happened, but... Yeah, there's some sort of aliens. Like I said, I haven't read Fantastic Four oh, stuff. I didn't know these mole characters. Man. Oh, they're they're like mole people. Yeah, so they're from they're from the world where where like mole man who rules like under the in like the center of the earth or whatever, and they're yeah they're subterranean people. Okay, so it's a hollow earth thing. <laughs> it's it's a hollow earth thing. It's not an aliens thing. It's, it's the Marvel universe thing. is in fact hollow earth canon. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hollow Earth is canon. Um, so is Godzilla from the Space Knight. Um... <laughs> the Devil, 17 times. There's like 20 of him. But yeah, we just have... I guess I don't know if they're literally siblings or if they're just like buddies. 
but they're just like a little close-knit group of mole people. They're just kind of marching to their own drum off aside from everybody else. I think they're related, but I, I again, I have to reread the Hickman run to remember like the exact dynamic of it. The point is, in this comic, they're just going to be fun little side characters who are here to come in and be silly children. The Thing decides to recruit Jennifer Walters, She-Hulk. Um, that's timely. I think She-Hulk is out around when this episode happens, so we, we, we're tying in. We're tying in. She-Hulk is in this book. This book is probably better than that show's gonna be. God, I want it to be good so much, but... I don't know. I don't know. I like the actors. I like the character. <sighs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> She-Hulk here is pretty classic She-Hulk. Thing is choosing her to be his replacement for the just-in-case Fantastic Four. And she is a perfect replacement in that she is also the comedic strongman. She punches hard, and she's a humor character. So, bam, both power and tonally, she is the perfect thing replacement. Yeah, um, she's also a great replacement in that she's also just the best. Yeah, she hulks fun. Yeah. Always happy to see She-Hulk and stuff. She's also, like, a very classic Fantastic Four character. She's been, like... She's been Ben's replacement in the Fantastic Four before. She even brings that up here. Like, it's a very easy decision for her to, like... For the, for this four minutes that she's going to be doing it. Um, we have a, another little, like, interview of kids. This is with the, um, the, two, the two Fish People kids and the one Wakandan kid. The fish people kids do not speak because they wear essentially spacesuits that are filled with water instead of air. And the kid from Wakanda, um, Anome, is new here. And it's just like, okay, yeah, I don't know. After that, we get Johnny Storm and Darla Deering, who... Darla Deering, who, unless I am completely missing something, is a new character for this book. That was what I was going to ask. I was like, I have never seen this woman in my life. She is, yeah, I think she is an invention for this book, and I would be shocked if she has appeared after it. Which is kind of a shame, because I think it's kind of a fun concept. Um, she's Johnny's pop star girlfriend, and he has completely forgotten to ask anyone. Because yeah. he's Johnny Storm of the Fantastic Four, and he is going to forget to ask someone. It, like, opens up with the shot of, like, her in his Fantastic Four shirt with no pants, him naked in bed, because they've just finished having sex while Johnny Storm is taking one of his breaks from having sex with Peter Parker to fuck someone else, and, yeah, he's just talking about how he has a feeling that he forgot something. His note is, ask somebody about the thing, so he asks her about Ben Grimm. And then they go to get breakfast or whatever, and just... Johnny Storm has not really put any thought to who's going to be his replacement. Just kind of like, you, there. Well, in the Hickman run, when Johnny died, but actually wound up in Annihilus's dimension, and took over his entire army of evil, and became, like, this incredible badass, um, and, you know, one of the, like, 30,000... Johnny Storm learns how to be responsible arcs that this man has undergone only for the moment a new writer shows up for him to immediately revert to form. See the Dan Slot run where he is once again being an irresponsible jackass and it's like Johnny has learned this lesson 
so many times. This is like the least of that because this is just him being very distracted and forgetful. When I read this, I like, I wasn't sure at first if he was supposed to be forgetful or if he was being like, if he knew, but he just didn't want to think about it. You know, if like his look of frustration of looking at the phone, I was like, did he forget or is he just putting it off? I I think that he he wrote down this note assuming he would remember and then he forgot and so the note was not enough to remind him well there you go i'm gonna i'm gonna read this charitably because i like this book and i want to be like charitable to them writing johnny as though he is a character who has actually undergone any character arc johnny has undergone after that we get another future foundation interlude with Artie and leech previously mentioned never aging children one is pink, one is green. They're mutants. And, they yeah. And Alex Power of Power Pack, who is the, like... Older kid. Yeah, I think he says he's 19 at one point, which, I guess, when do you age out of the future foundation? Is it like high school where you have to graduate before 21 or you're just not allowed anymore? I, I don't know. <laughs> um... Because he kind of seems like he should have already aged out. He's he's like the 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 hall monitor kid. Yeah, he I, he talks about having been a superhero as a kid and like, um, like Leech was there for the mutant massacre, um, and he's talking about like well actually Alex was there for the mutant massacre as well when Alex was the same age as well I guess he was like a couple years older than Franklin but now he's like ten years older than Franklin. It doesn't fucking matter point is the the four replacements except except for scott lang who was having a freak out about having to see children and we get like it's it's a good scene where he's like having his emotional freak out about not wanting to be around kids because he just lost his daughter um when he realizes that like reed signs stuff that he's got because reed is such an arrogant jackass he doesn't think anyone else would be able to understand all of his science figures so he's clearly gotten away with this around his family, but Scott is smart enough to realize that, um, the like, Reed Richards is sick and possibly dying, and the reason the Fantastic Four are going on a trip is to try and figure out a cure for him, and he's kept it a secret from everyone, so they won't worry about it because he's very confident that he'll be able to find a solution on, like, this trip. Yeah, I think of the two... I think we get the most sort of like passing the torch scenes between these two compared to the other pairs, I guess, like, because it feels like Ant-Man is like the protagonist out of the four of them. Yeah, he's the emotional core of the book. Yeah, like, he is the one at the head of it, and also he is the most broken. Like, everyone else is largely fine, like, Medusa's fine, She-Hulk is fine, um, what's her name? Dala. Darla is, like, a little bit of a mess, but not like this. Yeah, yeah, well, like, Darla's comes later because she doesn't realize that she's signing on to be a superhero. She just goes someplace with her boyfriend and turns out she's the replacement for the Fantastic Four now, I guess. Yeah, hers is understandably being like, wait, I can't do this. I literally can't do this. I am a pop star. I sing songs on a stage. What am I doing here? She's Dazzler without, like, the dazzling bit. Yeah. Which, ultimately, the team gets assembled, and 
spoiler alert, the Fantastic Four aren't back after four minutes. I really... <laughs> so, yeah, they, they head off, and... Oh, you're waiting to issue two now. The Fantastic Four have gone off into the weird space hall thing that they've gone into. You know, it's it's like a cosmic space thing. It looks cosmic-y and spacey, and they're all on the top of the Baxter building. And it's, ladies and gentlemen, for the next 240 seconds, we are the Fantastic Four because this camera crew's there. Because the Fantastic Four, and they're, like, the most publicly available and known, like, superhero team. And there's this really great page of six panels, where in the first panel it's, um... She-Hulk looking up and Scott looking at a clock and being like, this is going to be great. Be over before we know it. She-Hulk looks down at the clock. Scott looks up at the space thing. She-Hulk says, you holding it together over there, Scott? Yep. Yep, yep, yep. A slightly wider shot, we see the Moloids and um, the one who is ahead on a jar says, uh-oh. Scott's like, don't say uh-oh. Why did you say uh-oh? He and She-Hulk both look up. They both look down at the clock. Uh-oh. <laughs> the best part of this page is Ant-Man's helmet, which has two, like, insectoid-like antennas. But they're not just, like, sculpted. They can, like, move. They're emoting. <laughs> yeah, like, they psionically move his emotions, which is to say they start erect and then go down towards the end like a limp dick or like a dog ceasing to wag its tail when it's sad. <laughs> Ant-Man's antennas are like a limp dick. This is what you they listen are. to this podcast for. <laughs> they are. They're like two limp dicks. <laughs> it's a fun helmet. I like it. It is... It, it, they need to bring this Ant-Man design back. I miss when he had... The, the thing they do in the movies where it's all closed up, it's a stupid idea. It's silly anyway. Just have fun with it. Yeah, like, I don't come to Ant-Man to see something that would fit in the Ultimates. Like, it's fucking Ant-Man. Even though Ant-Man is in the Ultimates. Ant-Man... Ultimate Ant-Man is the most ultimate of all Ultimates characters. We're... We just keep laying the ground for us to need to cover the ultimate sooner and sooner. Actually, except for maybe the Hulk. Hulk is straight. Hulk wants to kill Freddy Prince Jr. <laughs> back to this. Um, because of the newspapers being like, hey, the Fantastic Four haven't come back. Looks like it's the Antastic Four now. They all find out about, like, Scott's backstory where because it's, it's the same as in the MCU. He stole shit. He used to be a thief back in the day. That's how he got, like, the Ant-Man helmet at first and all that. Um, and he's like, uh, yeah, now I suddenly have to explain the whole concept of an ex-con to these kids. Yeah, and he just does the whole, sometimes people are bad and make mistakes, and then they atone, and I'm good now. Get off my back, kid. <laughs> he's like, uh, I didn't have to do this today. Um... Meanwhile, like, this is like breakfast the next day, and Medusa is still in bed, ringing a little bell for help, and just this one panel gag, which is fucking great. I, when I read this before, I don't know if I was tired, because I did not fully get it before. Like, looking at it again, I'm like, oh, wait, her hair tentacles are ringing the bell for service, because she's royalty. <laughs> yeah. 
and she's just so used to it that even away from home, she just wakes up and does it. Uh, Scott's like, oh, I wonder where she is. Uh, maybe she's sleeping in. It's fine. Everything's fine. Maybe nobody leave the building today. <laughs> just everyone stay nice and safe. I do not feel competent. This is a disaster. Don't let anything else go wrong. I, I did not plan on being in charge of these children for as of now two days. Next page, day three. And like, nothing else has even like gone wrong yet. There haven't been any attacks. It's just, we're just calmly sitting here knowing we have the responsibility and going, oh no, oh no, oh no. Not children, we can't do this. Meanwhile... Darla? Yep. Okay, cool. I feel bad not knowing her name, but like I said, I've never seen her before this book. Yeah, she she is, I think, just this book. I hope she's in other stuff. She should be. Whoever takes over Fantastic Four from Dan Slott, bring her back. Yeah. She's having a better time of it so far, just like playing with Artie and Leech. Um, we then cut to them visiting Dragon Man in... The machine that says boop boop room <laughs> with it's just a big like jack kirby machine room so you know it's full just like weird machine stuff Albert's a good pick for like a book that is very directly like riffing on like the jack kirby aesthetic yeah this is perfect like it's not quite a one panel splash page because there is like a second smaller one towards the bottom but the majority of the panel is just taken up by this one machine with all of these lines all over it. All of these little bits, all of the, like, the reflective surfaces. It's it's very nice. Yeah, like making Dragon Man look small in comparison to the expanse of it. And basically, there is a... It looks like the thing might be opening. The space hole above the building might be opening. Probably might something might be coming through soon meanwhile something else is coming but it's not coming from the sky and on the next page we see that the mole man has burst through the ground on a giant giant monster it it looks a lot like the thing from the cover of fantastic four number one frankly it's just a big green wrinkly thing can i say can i make an unqualified proclamation as someone who's barely read any Fantastic Four. Sure. The Mole Man is one of the best villains. No, he is. Like... It's it's the, the trifecta of Doom, Mole Man, and Namor for my top three Fantastic Four villains. I really like Anahilis, but that's just based off of what he looks like. Because I've never, well, almost never read an Anahilis story, but I just really like how he looks. Yeah, he's okay. Um, the Wizard's okay. But, like, I I like Mole Man because you get all the big monsters. I like Namor because you get all the big monsters and he keeps trying to fuck Sue, which is always funny. Um, like, every single time Namor attacks a Fantastic Four, like, nine times out of ten, it's just so he can hit on Sue for a bit. Yeah. Which, like, with Mole Man, we mentioned Squirrel Girl earlier. He's in Squirrel Girl. But, like, the thing about Mole Man is he's, like, not actually all that much of a threat or all that competent it's like he's got some giant monsters he's literally a blind old man like to be clear that is it he's got he's he's a very short old man with like 
almost he he's he's got the whole daredevil thing, but not quite as good. Yeah, like he he exists to be something to be punched when it's not time for the real fight yet. Like if you're having an action scene that's more thematically there for the characters and like an exercise for them to run around in more so than having the antagonist introduce like a big new dangerous development like you bring him and his monsters and they can stay on or off panel long enough to just get punched out for however many pages you need uh yeah remind me we need to do the wade samney daredevil arc with more men in it at some point because that is one of the best uses of this character in like an actual emotional story unexpected but okay <laughs> anyway there's a fight with the ff um because she had well she hulk had been giving a lecture on law to the kids which god i feel so bad for them um so she is in a full like suit like she she's she's in a suit with like a skirt like a regular like human clothes except it's like custom designer because she's a she hulk which means she's huge. Yeah, she's like seven feet tall. So, like, all her clothes are custom, which means that if they get fucked up, that's a lot of money she just lost. Yeah, she's, like, pissed that this is happening while she's wearing her suit. Um, meanwhile, Medusa bursts out of the window, still wearing her, like, silky nightgown that she's been wearing. Has still been waiting in bed, waiting for the servant. <laughs> And she's pissed at the Mormon because there's children around. She's she's using her hair to climb along the wall like Dr. Octopus. Like, uses his tentacles. Yeah, Medusa has a lot of potential visually. You can just do literally anything with that fucking hair. Um, it gets longer or shorter as needed. Um, that's why the TV show cut the hair off, because that would have been, like, fun and interesting, and that TV show could not have anything fun or interesting. Uh, meanwhile, Dragon Man is like, you remember the Fantastic Four, you have to go out there, and Darla's like, what the fuck, I'm a pop star, all I do is sing, and so Dragon Man shows her, um, well, we'll see, we'll... it's a suit, it's a thing suit, it's literally, so, imagine the thing, but then remove the head, and instead put, like, this small woman with pink hair's head in there instead. It's like she's wearing, like, a mascot suit of the thing and just doesn't have the helmet on. Yes. Yes. Which, like, does it... I assume it also comes with, like, some degree of the power of, like... Yeah, it was made by Reed Richards. It's an old story where Ben Grimm turned human again but still wanted to do Fantastic Four stuff and so Reed built a robot suit for him to, like, recreate the thing's powers, and they also made it look exactly like the thing, except without the head. Oh, so this is, like, a sort of, like, old story callback. Yeah, yeah, That's this, fun. Is, this, is a, this is a fun callback that, like, Dragon Man has prepped to throw her in for this. Like, there's a lot of, like, just fun, like, classic FF stuff here. I mean, the big monster looks just like the one from that first Fantastic Four cover. I need to stop saying FF when I mean the Fantastic Four when we're currently talking about the FF, the Future Foundation. I mean, it's it's the same thing. They're kind of the same it's thing. It's called FF yeah. for a reason. Yeah. Um. So they manage to beat the monster before Dala actually gets there. So it's just Dala shows up and the monster's already unconscious. 
and more man is already like wrapped up in Medusa's hair. So of course there's just a picture of like She-Hulk in a ruined suit, Medusa in a nightgown, but still still wearing her mask, which is especially funny. She doesn't even need. She's not got a secret identity anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess. Maybe she just likes it. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's a, it's style. It's just a look. Like it is a nice look. Actually, I mean, Black Bolt wears a mask as well, and he doesn't need one. He. Everyone knows who he is. He's literally the king. And humans are just stylish. We can give them that. They were designed by Jack Kirby. Of course, they're stylish. <laughs> Fair. But yeah, I guess I'll also just briefly mention I like the way Ant-Man is sort of drawn around this point too, where we get like these shots of him like, you know, like multiple Ant-Mans growing in size, zipping across the page to like show the rendition of his size changing, his growth. We get like a shot of him like inside of the monster all teeny in the brain, like surrounded by the like magenta shit. It's all just like fun, weird Ant-Man visuals. Yeah. I love Ant-Man as like a concept. I don't tend not to like the Ant-Man. I think Scott's definitely by far my favorite. There's a new Al Ewing Ant-Man book that I think the first issue's out that by default I'm excited for because Al Ewing but it's also like doing four different Ant-Man with like a different one each issue which is a cool idea. Yeah, which, not Ant-Man, but back to Ant-Man and his amazing friends. At the end of the fight, uh, Darla is really shook up and she wants to quit because... She's a fucking pop star. (laughs) Yeah, and yeah, essentially she's ready to leave, but then an alarm is going off. The machine that goes boop boop starts going boop 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 boop. The portal hall above the building opens and everyone sort of runs up there and out pops this man on fire. He screams that he's alive, that he didn't die, he won't die, he's alive. He flies down on fire, lands, and deflames on. He looks... He's wearing like a Fantastic Four suit but like a different design that we've not seen before. And he's got white hair, he's like a... He looks... He looks kind of like an older human torch. And he says the Fantastic Four are dead and no one can go through that gateway again. Ending the issue. Yeah. Which essentially... In issue 3 just... This is older Johnny Storm so that... We can both have and not have human torch in this book at the same time. It's... Yeah, I cannot remember what the explanation for this guy wound up being because it was in the other book. I think he's actually just an alternate universe version of Johnny who made a mistake because they start going into different universes in the back half of that book that are meeting, like, alternate Fantastic Fours. He, like, just fucked up and came to the wrong one. Yeah. Real quick while we're looking at the cover to number three, because it has the names on it, it reminds me... I googled and Michael and Lara Alred are married. They're a couple, not siblings. They are not siblings. Very married, very not related. I Very I thought, talented. I was thinking couple, you were thinking siblings, I was like, I don't know which one. <laughs> but it is in fact one, not, not both. 
Thank God. <laughs> Speaking of this cover, I uh, this is one of those fun covers that I tend to love, which is um, one where someone is shouting at you, either like, read this comic or die, or like, um, in this case, it's old Human Torch holding his hand out, saying, the FF is dead if you guys don't listen to me. You get, like, a lot of these and, like, stuff that's trying to be sort of more fun and, like, have that, like, earlier Silver Age vibe. Yeah, I, I, I like them. I like a shouty cover. Yeah, like, I can appreciate text on covers, you know, like, that's largely gone away, but when it's done well, I think it's something worth doing and can still be fun. Which, after the cover and the story itself... We basically just start right off with everyone huddled around wanting to find out who this old man now in a bathrobe is. And he basically just tells them what we just established of, I'm John Storm, I was the Human Torch, and basically in his life the Fantastic Four died, and yeah, he's, he's an old man. Specifically, I escaped to make sure the evil that hunted my family like animals across infinite time and space dies here and now. Um, we did establish earlier that Scott Lang's daughter was brutally murdered by Doctor Doom, noted Fantastic Four villain, right? Just, just to make sure that's clear. Um, we have a splash page showing, like, I guess how the Fantastic Four died in this. It's very, very, like, sad, frankly. Um, but they were killed by <laughs> the upcoming main villain of this series, Doom the Annihilating Conqueror, who is literally Doctor Doom, Kang the Conqueror, and Annihilus fusing together into a single being. Original OC do not steal. <laughs> like, literally, like, 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 there's a panel of the three of them doing the full, like, Captain Planet, like, putting their hands together with the glowing energy and, and like, yeah. The design's fun, honestly, because it's basically, like, Doctor Doom with wings and a little more purple. Yeah, yeah, and he's got, like, like the Kang has, like, the two lines down the middle of his face, and he's got, like, the two lines down on, like, the metal mask design, but then it's got, like, the Annihilus mouth. It's, yeah, I, I dig it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And basically, John just says that this monster massacred his family. And everyone's just kind of looking uncomfortably because they're listening to this man talk about his dead family. And naturally, Scott like has like a panel of like flashing back to like him holding Cassie. It's, uh, it's literally the same panel, they've just, like, inverted it, so now the, like, black lines are white. It's very effective, it's like a little momentary, like, flash inside his head, essentially, what we're getting. I like it a lot better like this than, like, the standard coloring it was the first time, like, the inverse effect on it, like, sells not just, this is a flashback, but also just, like, the horror of it. It's a really nice touch. Yeah. Um... So they start trying to get back to the silly ongoings. The the Moloids and Moorman had like arranged the attack so that the Moloids could. It, I I can't remember what's. Moorman wanted a thing, 
I, I think this connected to the other series because the two books were kind of interacting in like fun, weird ways. But basically, the Mole Man is essentially the Morloid's crappy dad, and they are doing this one last thing, so he stays out of their lives forever, and they can live in peace. Yeah, like that's that's the vibe that I get from this scene. Um, and they pop back up and are immediately besotted because they see Jen holding heavy things, just like the Ben does. So now she is the Jen. Yeah, I like the Jen. I like the name. There, um, there's there's an issue later where they just try to like screw up her date with uh, Wyatt Wingfoot. I know who Wyatt Wingfoot is because of Marvel Ultimate Alliance, <laughs> and he's I, in this issue. He is in this issue. Yeah, a little bit later. I guess my question to you is, what do you think of Wyatt Wingfoot? Do we like him? Overall, sure. Yeah, yeah. Why not? He's just a dude, right? Like he's literally just Johnny's friend. He's just he's just Johnny's friend, Wyatt Wingfoot, who is here. He's dated She-Hulk, one of the better Dan Slot written Fantastic Four stories from like the current run is like heavily focused on him. I like him. Happy to see him show up in things. Okay. You know. Yeah, I don't. I don't have a lot of strong Wyatt Wingfoot opinions, but he's there. He is there. He should be in the new the new movies because why not? Yeah. Um. After the scene with the Jin, we have a glimpse of Dala's concert, which looks heinous, uh, horrible. <laughs> it's a lot of people wearing very little clothing, but animal heads, like. Everyone on stage, aside from her, is wearing an animal head, and then she is wearing an elephant head on her back. It's one of those things where everyone is wearing a lot and nothing at the same time. <laughs> because there is a lot of clothing, but it also has a lot of cutouts. It is so, avoiding a lot of choice areas. Yeah, so basically it's Five Nights at Sexy Freddy's, and there's a bunch of pink lights flashing around... And she's crying because she's just miserable of all the stress she's been undergoing with the FF. Um, so she has, like, cleaned up and clearly just showered after, like, her concert, and goes back to her room where there's a bunch of flowers, which Scott is planning on surprising her and, like, trying to, like, he's left a note saying, you know, come back, we don't want to get new uniforms... Um, and he's, he's shrunk down on the flower, and he's clearly planning on, like, popping up and being, like, surprised. But, A, it's already awkward because she is only wearing a towel, which makes him look creepy. And she's crying. And she's crying, and he's like, oh, God, I, oh, no. <laughs> and he's just like, well, now I feel like a creep. Um, uh, so he's gonna, he, he decides to stay small, but then, um, she gets... She gets a box from the Yancey Street Gang. This is a classic Fantastic Four thing. The Yancey Street Gang are a group of kids who live on Yancey Street who like fucking around with the thing. Lots of pie bombs, lots of stuff like that. There is a story where it turns out that all of those packages that the Yancey Street Gang sent the thing were actually Johnny Storm fucking with him. And he and Johnny fight it out and eventually, like, it's okay. Um, but then the packages just sort of eventually start arriving again. So I guess the Anti-Street Gang are also real. 
this is what it's like being a Fantastic Four reader. You you read the same eight stories over and over again. And you're like, that's a good version of that story. And the details just sort of change and then unchange without explanation and just repeat. The the children remain the same age the whole time. Um, I love the Fantastic Four. I, I will say they have even worse of a, like, telling the same story over and over again the same way um, that, like, even characters like Spider-Man fucking do. But anyway, the package explodes, and, like, Scott was thinking that it was actually a bomb, but it is just, like, a bunch of whipped cream, and he jumps out to, like, save Darla. It's a great page where he's doing the thing where he's growing over the course of the page, um, to, like, try and shield her, but of course it's just, it's just whipped cream or whatever this is. Custard, maybe? And so it's just him jumping onto her to shield her. So it's him just appearing out of nowhere to shield her almost naked self from... Being creamed. Yeah. And so he gets creamed instead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this, this, this book has suddenly become, like, a full-on sex comedy. So it's filled with the... The Yangtze, Scoot, Jang, then all show up and they're all just wearing thing masks like they're just masks of Ben Grimm the thing's face specifically like shitty spirit Halloween there's a front and then just like a black wire to like affix it to the front so there's like not even anything to cover like the back of your head it's not a helmet it's just like a shitty like paper looking mask um they take a bunch of pictures of them like creamed and are running away Meanwhile, we sort of cut back for a brief moment to see Wyatt Wingfoot, who is, as we previously established, one of Johnny Storm's friends, meeting up with old John Storm, and they just sort of silently look at each other and gesture for a minute, um, at which point they both conclude, yeah, no, that's, that's Johnny Storm. There's, like, it's like assessing each other out, like, are you my friend, are you him? And then they bring it in for a bro hug moment. It's adorable. I like it. We also have, the, the side of the panel is the Baxter building where, you know, the Fantastic Four live and we get this delightful little arrow pointing to where in the building this is taking place, which is, I love shit like that. I do like a nice little, like, geographical, architectural, like, insert moments of, like, overlaying the inside and showing where it's at. Yeah, and the the Baxter building is always great for a thing like that. It's one of the best headquarters in comics. Oh yeah, so basically She-Hulk and Wyatt both are like, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's Johnny. She's like, I trust Wyatt. Everything they have is like, yes, that's, that's, that seems to be Johnny Storm. And then somebody says like, well, that means that A, the Fantastic Four are like probably not coming back. And B, any hope we have in saving him lies with that, like, possibly insane old man in there. Yeah. And at that point, we cut back to Darla and Scott running after the Yancey Street gang. And they follow them outside. Well, first, before they get outside, I guess we should note this page we have of, like, the long descent down the million stairs with like panel after panel of like railing after railing of 
Well, it's Scott following them with Darla just going down the elevator. Yeah, like we have Darla in the middle of panels. Well, it's like there's three columns. And like Scott and the Yancey Street gang are like on the sides. And Darla's elevator trip is running down the center. Um, and Darla's able to block them from escaping because she gets down there first because she's gone down the elevator instead of, you know, just sort of chasing them. And uh, once they reach the ground floor, they manage to make a bolt for the door again, but they still manage to lose them because it is New Year's and we just go to this massive shot of just confetti and... I guess she was doing a New Year's Eve concert? I guess, or maybe this is just all the New Year's stuff anyway. <laughs> like... I think this is just like the this dramatic is Times square, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it's way too crowded. They're never going to be able to find the people again. But they basically just have a conversation of like Ant-Man just tries to be a little vulnerable but wants her to basically it's like the Fantastic Four have gone. It doesn't look like they're coming back. You know, this is this is it, and the last wish was that the four of us, not three, not two of us, not three of us and someone else, not me and three Avengers, us four, take their places. Which just like, okay, I mean, Johnny really did not pay attention when he picked it, but okay. And he has this moment of emotional vulnerability, and she's like, yeah, no, you're right, what are we gonna do now? And we have one of the most just, like, about-to-kiss panels. Them staring at each other while his hand is on her face. Not just the side, but, like, his thumb is on her lips. And they're staring, and he goes, we're going to end Doom. And she pulls back and is like, what? <laughs> She's still in her towel, nothing but her towel, all the cleavage out, has been staring this man in the eyes as he's, like, rubbing his thumb over her lips. They just have, like, an exhilarating little, you know, chase sequence, lots of adrenaline pumping. They're both sweaty, they're both hot, they've both been moving around. They have they're an covered in cream. moment, covered in cream. And he's thinking about Doctor Doom. And, yeah, then we cut forward in time to the future Foundation is together, and Scott's just leading to talk about Doctor Doom. Let's end Doom. That's the plan. Just end Doom. Ladies and gentlemen, I propose directing the energies of the Future Foundation to resolving one of the enduring issues that stands in the way of Earth's ongoing and safe development. Let's end Doom. Once and all and forever, I want us to eradicate the very thought of Doom from the human race. And old Johnny Storm leans forward and is like, now that is a great idea. It's not. <laughs> So, I've gathered the rest of you replacements here today, and my idea is that let's go do what the people we're replacing couldn't. I mean, they they did at one point, but he came back. I I mean, Doctor Doom's been killed a bunch of times. The, the, the Wade run has a really good arc, where um, Doctor Doom is killed and sent to hell, and Reed Richards takes him out of hell because he knows if he leaves him in hell too long he's going to take over hell and he's like I can't 
I can't leave him in hell. He'll take over. <laughs> God. I have to hold him in a bubble with me forever with no way out. Because otherwise he will get out. And he will just take over wherever he gets out to. But yeah, like, these first three issues, essentially we establish our new Fantastic Four. Everyone freaks out and is like, we can't do this. And then they go, but we have to. Let's go face Doom. And that's where we cut off. Yeah, yeah. So, it, it is... I said this was me trying to hard sell the Fantastic Four. The reason I like the Fantastic Four as, like, a set of characters is it's the whole, like... They're different from any other superhero team in their family dynamic. Literally, it's the family dynamic. They, are, they explicitly have a family dynamic rather than, like, a team... I guess the X-Men sometimes lean towards a family dynamic, but that's... Yeah, it's... It's, it's like, immediate family dynamic. Like, FF is, like... Literally, the, 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 the two leaders of the team are mom and dad. Yeah, and then, like, one is a blood sibling, and, like... It's not even just the literal family, like, blood relation, but also just, like... Mostly stable roster... You know, like with the X-Men, you have the idea of family at the school, but there's 600 of them, and the individual ones are always shifting around, as opposed to focusing on the same, like, tight-knit group for almost the entire thing. And they keep fucking each other. Yeah. Uh, which is not a thing, thankfully, that has happened with the Fantastic Four. And then this book sort of recreates that with the four most random fucking characters you could imagine. Like, the, the, the way that, like, we literally have one of the major four just being a pop star who, unless I am very, very, very wrong, is completely brand new for this book. She's just here. With her weird Five Nights at Freddy's show. Well, the thing is, like, aspects of the group are, like, make a lot of sense, and then other aspects are, like... That's Gen not, sense. yeah. Like other aspects are like that's not what I've expected because it's like Jin is a perfect choice, and then Medusa makes some sense at least of like, you know, like she's a Fantastic Four adjacent character, you know, like yeah. you can sort of hand wave the idea of, but she's a queen because royalty in comics are always doing shit, you know. Black Panther's everywhere, Namor's everywhere. None of these people are at a loss for time running their countries somehow. So, like, Medusa kind of makes sense. And it's like Ant-Man and Darla are, like, the odd ones out, and that Darla just has no reason to be there, but it fits with the Johnny Storm. And then Ant-Man, it's like, I never would have thought to pick Ant-Man, but here's our point-of-view character who's a total fucking wreck. Yeah. Yeah. And, and is also, like, a super scientist. And you've got all of the adorable kids, which, like, you get more of them. Um, I think one of my favorite issues is the issue where Jen... I think it's it might be the fourth issue. Hang on. I now have to know if this is the fourth issue, and if I should have just added that issue to this so we could talk about it. But I will, I will just... Yes, it is. Um, the fourth issue where Jen is just trying to go on a date with Wyatt... And the Moloids 
team up with Bentley to try and ruin it. And they're like, Bentley, teach us how to be evil so we can ruin this date. Because we're jealous of Wyatt getting to go on a date with Jen. Um, because, you know, it's they're, they're four little kids with, like, a kid's crush. And everything they do just makes the date more and more romantic. And it goes from being, like, friends catching up to just full-on, like, start of a new romance. That sounds good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just adorable. Um, I really love the Future Foundation kids. And... I quit reading the Dan Slot Fantastic Four run, but I'm going to complain about them not being in it anyway, even if they're in it now. I'll still complain. There is a point where they were not there, and that is there to be complained about. They, like, stayed in space. They just left Alex Power in charge of these kids. I'm like, Alex Power is not fucking good enough to be in charge of these children. <laughs> what are you doing? I think they got their own miniseries. I need to read that, I guess, but I just I don't like Alex. I like everyone else. Alex, power aside, do we have any final thoughts on this we should address before moving to next week? I don't know. Is there anything you wanted to say, or are you good? Because hmm. I think I'm good. I'm good. That was our first Fantastic Four episode. We didn't talk about the Fantastic Four. We talked about Ant-Man. <laughs> We, we, we will do more Fantastic Four-focused episodes. I just need to figure out what the hell to pick, because everything's so long. Yeah. We could do Stan and Jack, and we could just laugh at the way they write Invisible Girl, as she used to be known. Oh, God. To be clear, love Stan and Jack. Uh-uh, 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 not, not writing that woman. Yeah. But regardless, thank you for listening this week. Um, next week, as long as everything holds up schedule-wise, and I don't end up having to re-record this later, uh, we should be doing something special with having some guests on for the first time. And the reading assignment for next week will be Hunter Hunter Volume 1, as we introduce Chris to one of the greatest comics of all time. Wait, I thought it was Hunter x Hunter. See, now here's the thing. Here's your is first the X fact. Silent? Yes, here's the first thing you'll learn is that the X is silent. He's a hunter of hunters, you see. Okay. Alright. I'll I'll just accept that. I'll accept that the way that you just accept Morloids being in this comic. That's fine. <laughs> but yeah, look forward to that next week and bye. Bye. Oh,